Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we have a very special fan pick. The most special. This fan pick was chosen by Joe for Joe's wife, Jen's birthday. Oh, oh happy birthday, Jen. Happy birthday, Jen. I'm happy pretty sure. Happy birthday, Joe's wife, Jen. Pretty sure Joe's wife, Jen's birthday was like back in March. <laughs> oh, good for Joe's wife, Jen. I think it was a while ago, but you know what? I also think that Jen might have a close connection, yes, we're both lighting our candles, to this week's episode topic, which Mm. is engineering crimes. So is it possible that Jen is an engineer? Is that what you're saying? I think so. I love it. I I read the email a while ago. Engine Jen. Engineer. (laughs) Engineer. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Greg Kinnear, the engineer. (laughs) So it's just Amanda and me uh, carrying the torch this week. Yep. Which means that I'm doing the background and a case. Yes. This is Lucy's time to shine. It's my time to shine. It's, it's, a, it's the Lucy show. I'm, well. No, I'll interrupt plenty. Don't worry. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take on the interruption mantle for, I got this. for two of you. I got this. <laughs> I'm, I'm interrupting for two now. Good. 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 Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get started because I personally have an awful lot of information to give you. So should Mm -hmm. we start off with Amanda telling us our wine crime pairing for this week? Yes, we shall. I have a pairing this week from our BFFs, our besties, our our booze over at Wink Wine Club. (laughs) The online wine club that delivers wine to your door or a Walgreens right over the state border. Yeah. If you're in one of those. Or your local Walgreens if you're, like, not never home. Yeah. I finally Mm -hmm. live somewhere where my packages don't get stolen. I feel like it's been uh, decades in the making. Yeah. You've had a lot of shit stolen, and that's a lot of valuable shit. It's not great. It's not great. Don't be a porch pirate. Doesn't... I know. I hate it. But that doesn't happen anymore. And that makes my Wink delivery so much easier. And Wink, for those of you who do not know, like I said, incredible online wine club, delivers wine directly to your door. They, like, get to know your tastes. If you're a member, they make recommendations, all kinds of, like, incredible inventory. They're switching it up seasonally. They always have something new and exciting to try. And it's not always just wine. I have gotten ciders from them. I've gotten a bunch of different sakes. 
Mm-hmm. So good. You sure have. I really have. A lot of <laughs> fun, sparkling wines. They have a lot of really, really, really cool stuff. Oh, they have and like a really dry cider that I love. They usually have that in the fall, so they should mm-hmm. have that again really soon. So maybe I'll have season. to pair that with an upcoming episode. I love it. <laughs> I highly recommend becoming a member, but you don't have to. You can just order a la carte. But when you are a member, you get member pricing. So the bottle that we're drinking today regularly is $19.99. But if you're a member, it's $17.99. And if you've never ordered from Wink before, you can save even more. You can go to trywink.com forward slash gals and get 20 bucks off your first box. And when you put four or more items in your bags... Wink takes care of the shipping. They've thought of everything. Love it. So I've chosen Rome of the North Riesling because as I'm sure many engineers have said, Rome wasn't built in a day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was a good one. It's pretty good, right? It's real good. It's pretty good. I've, I've been sitting on this Riesling for a hot minute trying to figure out what to pair it with. I was like, Kenyon's got to pick some sort of like Roman tragic case or or <laughs> topic at some point, but it just wasn't happening. And then we got engineering crimes and I was like, yes, Rome wasn't built in a day. And it was built with a lot of engineers. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> I personally really, 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 really love Riesling, especially like... In the summertime or in this very specific time of year, which is fall in Minnesota, which means it's 85 degrees. Yeah. Which means you get like three days where it's 65 and you're like, oh, it's sweater weather. And then the whole world is like, ah, 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 just kidding. 85, <laughs> 90 degrees. It's supposed to be real nice this weekend here I anyway. I hope it cools down again because mm-hmm. I'm ready to not sweat as much. And I've been walking a lot. Yeah. And my walks are very sweaty. Yeah. And you know I don't like that. You don't, but all. you also love baths. So. I do love baths, but I don't prefer to get into a tub when I'm sweaty. I prefer to shower when I'm sweaty and then may, or like rinse off and then maybe take a bath. Because then I feel like I'm sitting in my own sweat. I mean, you, know you what are I mean? regardless. That's why I don't love baths. I'm Ugh. sitting in my own filth. I love baths. Anyway, this is a medium-bodied Riesling. Riesling is such a cool grape. It's so versatile. It. I think a lot of people, and I've talked about this many, many times, a lot of people associate Riesling with sweet white wine. Mm-hmm. And while... Barefoot. Yeah. And while, yes, that can be true, and Rieslings do tend to be a little less dry and a little bit more fruit forward, a little bit like on the sweeter side, when you find like a really nice balanced Riesling, it should be slightly sweet and it should finish nice and dry. And that's exactly how this one is built. It's medium bodied, it's slightly sweet. It's only 10.8% alcohol. So this is a great like hot afternoon, easy drinker. It's not going to send you to the moon and you're going to get, the sweetness is going to come from like this sort of pear pineapple tartness. And then you're going to get that minerality that levels it out. So that like wet stone, that like petrature just right after rainfall. Mm -hmm. And then it also has a little bit of a citrus hint to it. So you might catch just like a little hint 
of wine. Or sorry. Oh, well, obviously you're going to get a hint of wine. Hint <laughs> like of I lime. Would hope so. Hint of lime. Oh lime. my god. Okay. Wow. Got yes. It. <laughs> it's amazing. And just a little blurb about this wine, originally cultivated in 17 BCE before Christ even by the Romans. <laughs> BCE. <laughs> Before Christ even. I love that. By the Romans to supply wine for their troops, the Mosul River or Mosul, I don't know, River Valley, a.k.a. the Rome of the North, is now home to some of the most classic Riesling wines in the world. Our 2018 Rome of the North is made from grapes that were grown on steep, south-facing slopes that allow the fruit to ripen slowly, gaining complexity all along the way. After harvest, the wine rests for eight months, same. In stainless steel. (laughs) Same. Yep. And this is an aging process that yields notes of stone fruit, pineapple, and wet stone. So it gets some of those fruit flavors, but it also mellows it out. It like really brings out that minerality. This Riesling pairs perfectly with prosciutto, arugula salad, salt and vinegar potato chips. Oh, yum. Yeah. Thai food. Rieslings are so good for cutting spice. So good with spicy foods. Sushi, cheeses. Like, it's just so versatile. Pretty much the only thing you wouldn't necessarily want to eat it with or drink it with is, like, a super fatty red meat. Yeah. Everything else is, like, fair game, baby. Mm-hmm. She's also a popper. My Wine and Crime Special Edition XOXO, the Wine and Crime Gals wine, he is upstairs. So I'm just using, what is this? Oh, this is from our friends over at Phantom Wine Company. Nice. Yeah. I, you know, it is what it is. We're getting more of those iridescent wine keys, by the way. So if you're listening and you feel like you missed your chance. They're coming back. They're coming back, baby. Yes. I don't feel like we could really limit this edition because people loved it so much. They loved them so much. Okay. Are we ready to pop? I'm so ready. I am loosening this little buttercup up and here we go. Oh, <laughs> nice pop. That was a firm pop. Oh, A very yes. well-structured, well-engineered pop. Wow, yeah. That'll mm-hmm. be only the only well-engineered thing in this episode, I have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Well, let's get to it. Lucy, what's Cheers. our background in psych, baby? Well, you know, before we start my background, there's no psych. Oh, well, great. Well, Shake those bones. Oh, I got some new bones. Oh, these what are from did you get? Kayla. These are uh, various bones that uh, Kayla collected for me and sent me in a jar at the top of which says there's no psych. So here we go. That is adorable. Do I see little um, vertebrae in there? Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of shit. Cute. There's a tooth. Oh, see that? Oh, I see it. <gasps> that looks like a tiny femur. I think it's like a deer tooth or like some sort of bovine. I love it. It's not cute. Anyway. Mm. How is it? It's really good. Yum. Uh-oh. Might get drunk. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bill's, Bill's gone. He might come home to a drunk wife. Drunk, drunk fiance. <laughs> <laughs> so before I start my segment, I just wanted to maybe popcorn read with you, Amanda. Oh, my God. An email that we got earlier this morning. Oh, my God. And... <laughs> Since our email has a disclaimer, disclaimer, don't email us if you don't want your shit read on air. Well, I also want, I forgot that we were doing this. Um, I also want to mention that this individual 
slid into my DMs this past week as well and called me a cunt. Mm -hmm. So we're getting it from all sides, and I fucking love it. (laughs) I I opened this email today, and I was like, oh, we're going to have to do some additional. (laughs) This is amazing. So Lindsay Sutton, this is for you. Go ahead, Lucy. Go, Lindsay. So the subject line is, OMG, I love this podcast. And here's what the body of the email says. Ha ha, made you open it, LOL, JK. This is actually the worst podcast I have ever listened to. Also, language warning. Oh, yeah. And bad grammar warning. Horrible. Yeah. (laughs) You three stupid feminist white bitches are rude, annoying, and all you care about is what are what you three believe in and don't care about others' opinions. Don't Lindsay at me. Lindsay is also white. We can we confirmed this. Just oh so yeah, Lindsay, you might want to you might want to lock down your social media if you don't want other people <laughs> knowing where you work. For example, <laughs> oh uh oh uh oh. <laughs> don't at me. Don't email me that I'm wrong. You three clearly don't give a shit about your audience or your listeners. I've never listened to a podcast that doesn't give a shit about their listeners or care what their listeners have to say. Oh, it's also I bet- called. <laughs> They're probably a huge Sword and Scale fan. (laughs) Probably. I've never listened to a podcast. Okay. It's also called a true crime podcast, not your bullshit political views. Popcorn Amanda. We don't want to hear it. That was my next line. But oh, well, it's your podcast. You're right, Lindsay. It is our podcast. Do what you want. We will. I will just make sure to unsubscribe. Tell others Glad not you subscribed to in the first place. Yeah, thank you for those initial <laughs> listens. Tell others not to listen and not support Wine and Crime. I can't wait for your 37 followers to stop listening to our show. <laughs> Who would? Oh, my God. There's a fly in here. That's in, flies, email. Five That's in the email. That's in the email. Who would want to support a podcast that is for defunding the police? <laughs> I mean, do you know that? Uh, th- this is what makes me laugh. Defunding the police doesn't necessarily always mean abolition. Now, I am an abolitionist. Not everybody is an abolitionist. We do need some form of public safety. I get it. But defunding, we want to reallocate funds. The police budget is way too big. We need money for, like, schools and roads. Anyway. I feel like if that needs to be explained. Then you're not going to hear it. Yeah. My poor mother is a dispatcher for a police department, and she's struggling to survive because her police department got defunded because of you three worthless, stupid, uneducated cunts. There's her favorite. <laughs> First of all, we don't know where you live. We've had nothing to do with. I know where she. I know where they live. <laughs> I want to. I want to look up where this person lives and find out if their police department was actually defunded. Because I'm going to say highly doubt it. Yeah. If they live here in Minneapolis, it's. We have not defunded the police. Well, Mayor Fry has increased the police budget. In they fact. actually live in California, as uh, is inferred, which makes this entire email so much more funny to yeah, me. Yeah, it's, it's totally, I want to take credit. You're right. We mm-hmm. did defund the police in your obscure California town. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Popcorn Lucy. You three say you're not racist, but you three are actually racist. Clearly, you three don't have any black or Hispanic friends. Your Mm. president, old Sleepy Joe, is ruining our country. I mean, there are parts (laughs) of that that I agree with. You know what, Lindsay? (laughs) Not a big Joe Biden fan either, but go ahead. Go off. You know what, Lindsay? The last election was a... It was, it was a, between a rock and a hard place situation. I had, to, I had to rip a shot before I went in and voted. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, if you can already tell, this is a hate email. Whoa. What? Thank you for telling. Thank you for telling us because I had no idea. I love it. You three are the reason why they give us millennials a bad name. Yes, the United States has a fucked up past, but get the fuck over it. It's oh. part of history. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Okay. Popcorn Amanda, finish us out, baby. Also, so what if Donald Trump is supposedly the worst? <laughs> Obviously, he loves this country and hates seeing it go to shit. Wow. This is what this country needs. We need an asshole president. <laughs> Whether you three sensitive feminist bitches hate it. Anyways, fuck you three. Eat shit and die. Don't ever come out here to California. You three aren't welcome here. Goodbye. Um, we're super welcome in California, and I think we're gonna do a couple more sold out shows there. Yeah, you know, after a certain baby is delivered. So I feel we'll, like this they just lit a fire. I think we should reach out to them and offer free tickets to our next California live show. Yes, well, they have a Yahoo email address, so hmm. I. I'm going to reserve judgment on that one. That was fun. That brought me a lot of joy. I yeah. love reading our hate mail. It's so funny. Yeah. Especially <laughs> this one with the t with the subject line. OMG, I love this podcast. Just kidding. Made you open it. You know what? We would open it even <laughs> if you said you hated it in the subject line. I would, we open all I would have been quicker to open it. Yeah. We open all of our emails. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, so. Thanks, Lindsay. We all know they're listening because nobody who cares as much to write this and DM you personally and probably yeah. me too. I don't I know. I was going to say you should check your uh, like message requests because I check mine just every month or so and that's where I found it. Okay. I'll look for it. I'm not following this person. They were following me. I hope they called me a cunt. I well, they did in this email. All three. Of oh us. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got cunted too. I just saw mine twice. Thank you, Lindsay. Love you. I wish you the best. Uh, maybe some mental health support, mm -hmm. and have fun in that career, which actually boggles the mind. What you do for a living. So tell me. Not going to say it on air. Recording. And I also, will. Talk space. Promo code gals. Talk anyway, promo code gals. Okay. <laughs> Back to engineering. Let's go to my segment. This is the background of engineering. There is no psych as we've established, except mm. for the psychosis that just happened. Right. Okay. We got a little bit of psych with that email. Mm -hmm. Engineering is the professional art of applying science to the optimum conversion of the resources of nature to the uses of humankind. Okay. Engineers are professionals who invent, design, analyze, build, and test machines, complex systems, structures, gadgets, and materials to fulfill functional objectives and requirements while considering the limitations imposed by practicality, regulation, safety, and cost. Okay. They just figure out how things, work. How, sh how shit works. They are the professional Tim Gunn make it work People. Make it work. Exactly. Make it work. Designers. Make it work. Designers. Engineers. Make it work. <laughs> the word. I need the Mall of America. Make Ugh. it work. <laughs> we need a new spiral sparking ramp. Make yes. it work. Actually, we do. Yeah. The engine. The <laughs> word engineer. The, so the Latin word engineator. Okay. Is derived from the Latin words engineer, to, which means to contrive or devise, and ingenium, which oh. is cleverness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like ingenious. Yep, yep, yep. This is tracking. Mm -hmm. It does, it does. 
Mm-hmm. Engineering is based principally on physics, chemistry, and mathematics, and their extensions into material science, solid and fluid mechanics, thermodynamics, transfer and rate processes, and systems analysis. Yuck. So, Clearly, you have to be really smart to even understand what the fuck I just said. And like that specific kind of smart where it's like science and math. Like I'm really really, really logical. I could never be an engineer. That's why I didn't go into mortuary science. There was too much logical like A plus B equals C. It's why I don't bake. Mm. There's no room. There's no room for flexibility. Mm-hmm. This, it's too much. It's too much logic. It's too many. Uh, it's too formulaic. I'm with you. I just don't get it. I mean, I I get it, but I that's just not how my mind works. You also are not a sweets person, so like whatever. You have no need to bake. I don't like bread. I don't like sweets. I wish I didn't like bread. I made it. I wouldn't give to not like bread. <laughs> Why do you like bread? Just it's, for the butter. It's pillowy, savory magic i don't know how you don't like bread i'm in i'm in the majority here i think that my dislike for both bread beer oh you don't like yeasty things well i think that it because i don't burp i Mm. don't have that release of gas so i feel bloated way fucking faster that's fair than the norm i think that's fair that's fair yeah so i just i can't eat that's why i eat so fucking slowly Mm-hmm. I can't drink a lot of like mixed drinks or mm-hmm. you know things like that. It's- Listen, I support it. I I am here for you, and I love you just the way you are. Oh my God, I love you just the way you are. You dumb you, cunt. You dumb feminist cunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I want to frame that email. Actually, done. My friend, someone should cross stitch it. My friend Ben said, or someone. Or maybe it was Tanner said we should just put it on a T-shirt. That whole tirade. Oh my god, that <laughs> is so. This, it's like the um, Tom's house got broken into, and then yes. my son, my son, had to go. <laughs> he flipped his car. And, yeah, I've had a stressful day. <laughs> then he flipped his car. Yeah, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm under a lot of stress. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> Tom's house was broken into. And he confronted the burglar, and he got hit Ugh. in the eye, and he needed ice and, and my son pulled his car three times. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Okay, so you got to be smart to understand that. You also have to be really smart and have an extensive knowledge of your specific engineering expertise to be a good engineer. Yeah, so, I'd be a terrible engineer, period, full stop. Yes, Professional engineers typically have a four-year degree plus a master's degree in an in a specific engineering discipline, plus four to six years of peer-reviewed professional practice culminating in a, report, a project report or a thesis, and a passage of engineering board examinations. You're that's, a fucking doctor. Yeah, like, that's intense. You need so much. Oh, my God. I see that fly on the back of your microphone. Gross. What? Where? Right by where your cord hits that gray thing above <gasps> the black arch. Nope, right in front of your forehead. It's back there. Here? Yeah. Oh, did you not did just I see it fly it? past your face? No, you didn't I saw it. It you was just... a little tiny one. No, you missed it. Okay. I'll well, keep going. Great. There's a, that fucking fly is in here somewhere. It sure is. I'm going to get him. <laughs> so, yeah, you need a lot of fucking education to be like a like a licensed professional a legit engineer, engineer, which like, thank God, because you're building like 
bridges they are building and buildings. roads, bridges, build, <laughs> yeah. yeah, things that we interact with and like walk into every day. Yep. Yep. But we just oh. don't always think of it because it's so pervasive. It's everywhere around us. Like mm-hmm. you just don't really think about it. Right. In the United States, professional licensed engineers can have the letters P E after their name. So like a, like a PhD, well, professional engineer. Engineer, yeah, no, no, I get it, but <laughs> I'm never gonna have that. God, no, and we're all safer because of that. Yeah, we're all better off for it for sure. <laughs> engineers work with two types of natural resources: materials and energy. So materials acquire uses that reflect their properties, so like their strength, ease of fabrication, lightness or durability, their ability to insulate or conduct, like electricity Mm -hmm. or heat or whatever, Mm -hmm. and their chemical, electrical, or acoustical properties. Ooh, so if you're engineering like an orchestra hall, for example. You're going to need to know the acoustical properties of the drywall that you're building the walls out of and whatever. Important sources of energy include fossil fuels. So this includes coal, petroleum, gas, etc. Wind, sunlight, falling water, and nuclear fission. The fucking, if if everyone listening, I was almost going to say if anyone here, (laughs) anyone here in this audio space has not been to Niagara Falls, you should go. And there's like this, the Canadian side, it's the better side. (laughs) But there's like all this information, there's like a museum basically there about the power grid that they can power from the falls. And it's really incredible. I bet it's huge. Yeah, I mean, those falls are epic. Yeah, my only experience with Niagara Falls is Jim and Pam's wedding. Going over it in a barrel. That one time. That, uh, just that one time. Just that one time. I was drunk. <laughs> it, it's fine. I was drunk. I didn't feel anything. <laughs> so stupid. That would be my worst fucking nightmare. Just the um, sensation of falling inside of a barrel. Absolutely fucking not. The thought of it actually makes me like feel physical fear. I'm so scared of heights. At, no. Mm-mm. Well, you might not love the last part of my segment then. Great. Is it happening now? No, not yet. Oh, good. Okay. So there are lots of different types of engineering, including aerospace engineering, agricultural engineering, nuclear, civil, geo, geoengineering, military, industrial, electrical, and electronics, mechanical, chemical, petroleum, bioengineering, fire protection engineering. So like... Fire alarms at like sp- the sprinklers, they like detect oh. heat, they, 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 they put the fire out. Okay, okay. It's a lot more like uh, practical application. Yeah, basically everything like, requires some kind of engineering. Literally, yes. Yeah. Also software engineering. Mm-hmm. So here's a fun fact for you. The namesake of Mount Everest, which apparently is pronounced Everest, Everest, or I've well, whatever. I don't know. Okay. I, th- what I found okay. some alternate pronunciation. Okay. Anyway, it's named after George Everest, the surveyor general for the British Empire in India. Hmm. He made substantial contributions to the measurement of the Indian meridian arc. So, like, among the work that he did, um, he, he started at the southern tip of India and, like, mm-hmm. walked all the way to the foothills of the Himalayas. To, to essentially do, like, an on-foot geological survey of that area? He was surveying. Yeah, like, yeah. Top, top, topography. That's he how was my, surveying. 
That's how my mom's dad died. He was doing a oh in like G- South America in South America when my mom was six. He was he worked he was in the Air Force or the Army or I mean I th- I believe the Air Force because he was flying a plane, but he was flying like a single engine plane in South America doing like a geological Surveying. review or survey, and he crashed his plane and they couldn't find him for six months, and then uh, like indigenous folks in that area found the wreckage up in the mountains and like carried him down to a mission because Is they he couldn't, alive? they couldn't. No, he died. Oh, okay. He was dead. They carried his his remains to a mission, and he. I, I believe I'm remembering this correctly. I'm sure my mom's going to call me like on the way home from listening to this episode. But they, because I don't believe that the folks who discovered the remains could speak or read English, and but they like recognize that the dog tags that he was wearing were in likely in English. Yeah, and so they brought him down to a local mission, and the priest there could read English and could identify him. But it took six months. Wow. For them to find anyone to find him, it was wild. Cool. I mean, I wasn't there, and my mom was six, but like, yeah. So my mom lived in South America, and then after he passed, they couldn't live on base anymore, so they moved back to Massachusetts. Well, I'm sorry for your mother's loss. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that would be rough losing your father as a little kid. I mean, especially just it all disappearing, sucks. not even knowing what happened to him. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a very a very interesting job. There, I mean, it requires a lot of education and smarts to pull that mm-hmm. off. So yeah, weird. Ah, mm-hmm. I I forgot about that. I didn't know he was doing like a survey thing. Yeah, it's like a weird fun fact. Cool. Mm-hmm. So speaking of fun facts, something not I not so fun fact. I guess <laughs> he died. Sorry, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. She probably likes it. As a oh, fact, of course, little of party, course. little party, a little cocktail party <laughs> trivia. Mm-hmm. So something else I didn't know about engineers, which actually makes a lot of sense, is that they have a very serious code of ethics, sort of like doctors, like mm-hmm. a do no harm. Yeah, because they have Good. Ob- yeah because they have obligations to the public, employers, and the profession itself. Each engineering discipline has its own society that you're like part of. Okay. So if you're a civil engineer, you might be like in a it's not a union for like union purposes. Do you see the fly again? I see it. I see it. Now it's gone. Just let it tire itself out. It'll take a nice long nap. Okay. It's like a three year old. <laughs> run it out. Just run it out. Just run it. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Do you need to take a break? <laughs> no. We're gonna this is incredible audio content. Yeah, oh, Me yeah, it's looking great. at a fly. This would be a good time to subscribe to our Patreon so you can see this happen on I, camera. Yeah, I see him. I fucking see I him. I think I see it too. I wish I had like a little spray bottle. He's cleaning his little hands. He's Ick. doing that. He's doing that thing that flies do. Ew! I'll catch you. Catch it next time. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> Holy shit! I used Rawr! to watch Inspector Gadget. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he landed on top of my camera. He knows I can't swat at him there. Oh, my God. Okay. So because, <laughs> so each engineering discipline has its own society. So, for example, civil engineers have their own. Mm-hmm. We build bridges. We are not allowed to let bridges collapse onto Yeah, we people. can't <laughs> fuck it up on purpose. Like, yep. we have to do our due diligence to make sure it's safe. Do your due diligence. Because thousands of people will be on it every day. And also because a lot of engineering, like, projects such as building buildings, bridges, things like that, uh, uh, boats, <laughs> airplanes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll get to boats. <laughs> I bet we will. Mm-hmm. 
because they're they are such big projects that there is a a very long like chain of authority in there. Sure, yeah. So communication is really important. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll kind of get to it, but. Back to these societies, they're often governed by specific statutes, whistleblowing, product liability laws, and sometimes the principles of business ethics. So whistleblowing. Well, let me give you a quick example of whistleblowing. Okay. Okay. So yeah, the, I'm just curious how that factors in. So I'm glad you have an example. I do. So the Challenger. Do you remember this? The space shuttle like the space Challenger. Shuttle? Yeah. That yeah. exploded. Right. So the Challenger disaster is an off-sided case study when it comes to engineering ethics. On January 28, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded in flames shortly after liftoff, killing all seven crew members, one of whom was basically like a novelty crew member. She was a teacher. Oh, she was like an no. elementary school teacher, and it was supposed to be like learning in space, oh, like a God. PR kind of, you know, she was. Oh, that's bad. I didn't know that. I don't think she, I don't know that she was like just a just a regular civilian, like civilian. teacher. She had but to I, have I, been. I think she was. She was like trained a, somehow, right? Just teacher of young children. It was like a whole okay. thing from a CED engineering paper by Mark Rossell, PhD, PE, mm-hmm, retired. Mm-hmm. This paper says, quote, a presidential commission was formed to investigate the cause of the accident and found that the O-ring seals had failed. So they're like O-shaped rubber seals on the mm-hmm. compartment that holds the pressurized gas okay. and, uh, and other things. You don't want to lose O-ring. If the Challenger taught us anything. You don't want to lose the O-ring. Um, so the O-rings had failed. And furthermore, that the seals had been recognized as a potential hazard several years prior to the disaster. The commission's report stated that because managers and engineers had known in advance of the O-ring danger, the accident was principally caused by a lack of communication between engineers and management and by poor management practices. So it was like you kind of had the obligation to blow the whistle because this was so dangerous, not that you shouldn't blow the whistle. Oh, yeah. Nothing nothing in this is a warning against blowing whistles that's what i figured but i was curious because yeah there's there's there are people there are you know the high level operatives who are pro blowing and very anti-blowing well you have you have you have engineers the people on the ground who are doing this work who have expansive knowledge of what's happening and and it is their duty to make sure that knowledge is shared and not like fucking hoarded so that the safety protocols are met work yeah yeah okay you that also, makes perfect sense you also have the people in authority the people mm-hmm. who who oversee the engineers you also have the entities that have all the money mm-hmm. so that's where this, i get concerned so we have power money overlording the people who know what the fuck is actually happening. Because when capitalism gets involved, then I could see the people with the money not wanting to share certain secrets so that Mm -hmm. they're the ones with, like, the cornered market on that creation. Especially when it comes to things like space flight, NASA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a political obligation to reach these milestones before other nations mm-hmm. so there are all sorts of factors going on in this particular case so basically there was a man named roger boys joy Bois joy sure. ha- happy forest 
who love it. <laughs> who after the exp- after the explosion came forward to share his account of the history of the O ring failures. So basically, it boiled down to the O rings too late, dude. I know that they weren't stretchy enough because of the unusually cold weather. Mm-hmm. When th- the overnight low, when they launched launched this this space shuttle, I, I assume out of Cape Canaveral, mm-hmm. eight degrees Fahrenheit. In Florida, that's nuts. Yeah, they were not anticipating. It that. was crazy fucking cold, and this guy and and this guy along with other engineers knew that the material that these rings were made out of did not do well mm-hmm. in really low temperatures. Yeah, they, they get brittle. They weren't stretchy enough. Mm-hmm. So the rings broke, causing pressurized gas to bust into the fuel tank and explode. Wow. It's amazing what cold temperatures will do to fuck up your predictions in engineering, and we will get to it. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, this concern was communicated, and they decided to move forward with the launch anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that this particular guy qualifies as a whistleblower since he only blew after the accident. But he, yeah. But he, his testimony is the main reason why we have so much information about what happened. Mm-hmm. So the, this particular paper goes on to discuss why some engineering failures are just categorized as unforeseen accidents, because, of course, that's going to happen anyway. It's just, you right. know, it, it is what it is. And others are categorized as ethical failures. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. If I had more energy, I might be tempted to go into an engineering ethics K-hole, mm-hmm. but I'm just not there right now. Nope. But for those who that's are okay. interested, it is a it's a fascinating topic. Topic. Yeah, it is. Here's another fun fact from Wikipedia. Quote, some graduations of engineering programs in North America may be recognized by the iron ring or the engineer's ring, which is a literal finger ring made of iron or stainless steel that is worn on the little finger of the dominant hand. Hmm. This tradition began in 1925 in Canada with the ritual of the calling of an engineer, where the ring serves as a symbol and a reminder of the engineer's obligations to the engineering profession. Cool. In, in 1972, the practice was adopted by several colleges in the U.S., including members of the Order of the Engineer. So if you see somebody with a, with a stainless steel or iron pinky ring, I mean, on their dominant hand, likely their right hand, that might mean might that they are an engineer. A, a PE, a professional engineer. That's cool. Yeah. And then I have one last nice story. Oh, I didn't even tell you about your fear. The Challenger. So something I didn't have in my notes. They don't think that all of the crew members died from the explosion. They think that some of them were alive as they plummeted in their capsule into the ocean. Why are you like this? I don't know. Because we brought it up before. So (laughs) of course I've of course I read on to see who died in the explosion and who didn't. Who sunk sunk to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Great. Falling over Niagara Falls, falling out of space. Yeah. Well, not space, but like it's space way up there. May as well be fucking space. To me, it's the same shit. They've reached terminal velocity by the time they hit the surface of the ocean. So great. That's okay. If they didn't die in the explosion, that's what they died. Definitely when they hit the surface. Thank you. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Awesome. So here's a last little nice story from the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. This will cheer you up. This is actually a nice, nice little story. Okay. Leonardo da Vinci, 
lived in Italy for 67 years during the mid-1400s. And back then, 67 years old, that was fucking ancient. Yeah, yeah. In a time far before electricity when water was used as power and 100 years before Galileo had worked out measuring time. Yikes. Da Vinci was an engineer and proficient inventor of both working and theoretical inventions. Mm Mm-hmm. His artistic talents enabled him to record his mechanical ideas with enough clarity that blueprints for working models could be created, allowing humankind to continue celebrating his achievements in modern days. I love it. So One of his achievements being making those angel wings for Drew Barrymore in that Cinderella movie. And those water shoes. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So watch that. Ever after. Ever after. He was so fucking smart, so creative. Mm-hmm. And also so artistic that he was able to communicate his designs in the form of blueprints before blueprints, blueprints were really were a like thing. a thing. Yeah. So it's detailed enough that we can still use that today, which Unbelievable. is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So there was a need for engineers in Milan in the 1480s to design military fortifications because the region was at war at the time. Mm-hmm. So da Vinci wrote a proposal to Duke Sforza. Okay. Which could now safely be deemed to be the world's best cover letter. Amazing. Detailing his capabilities and applying for an engineering position. So here's what his cover letter says. In case of a siege, I know how to dry up the waters of the moats and how to construct an infinite number of bridges, covered ways, scaling ladders, and other machines for this type of enterprise. Done. Hired. When can you start? Yeah. He got the job. You had me at moats. At age 30. Wow. He did this at at or before 30. He first explored his engineering talents and went on to work as a military engineer for 17 years in Milan. Wow. He studied and designed war instruments such as tanks, catapults, submarines, machine guns, and other weapons. In the 1400s. That's unreal. Yeah. He also focused on mechanics of levers, gears, cranes, hydraulics, ball bearings, bicycles, and flying machines. Incredible. Okay. He he displayed civil engineering talents as well with geometry studies and architectural designs of domed churches, fortresses, and canals. So, like, is da Vinci kind of the reason we have domed churches, or was that... Or were those in, uh, not common, but like made before and he just like made them better? I think that might be the case. I think that they have existed for a really long time. But Mm -hmm. if you think about the architecture of a domed structure. Right, right, right. It's so fucking complicated. Mm Mm-hmm. So at the very least, I would imagine he improved their systems and also recorded it Mm -hmm. in his blueprints so we could replicate it. Yeah. Wow. Among many other designs, in 1495, he detailed plans for a three-wheeled, wind-up, self-moving automobile. Oh, my God. That has been considered the first robot. That's insane. He designed a robot. In 1495. Yeah. It was the 90s, man. It was crazy. The 1490s. It was crazy. Da Vinci was also the first systems engineer, creating a new attitude about understanding how machines worked. According to curators at the Boston Museum of Science, quote, he reasoned that by understanding how each separate machine part worked, he could modify them and combine them in different ways to improve existing machines or create inventions no one had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. 
He wrote the first systematic explanations of how machines work and how elements of machines can be combined. Wow. He was a fucking genius. Yeah, he was. He wrote daily in his notebooks in Italian using mercantile script mirror writing. So instead of going left to right, he went from right to left. So it was sort of like encoded. Mm -hmm. It was not meant for other people to read. Interesting. He did not write linearly or in complete thoughts or with logical progressions, but instead he just wrote really observationally. His journals, his journals contain drawings and words that describe concepts, ideas, functions, and connections. He wrote thousands of pages comprising 30 different scientific journals. Wow. The most important Fuck. is now called the Codex Leicester. Leicester. Worcestershire. Okay. Worcestershire. His only known continuous and completed writing covering the nature of water, its movements, laws of currents, and how they relate to air, motion, and the stars. Wow. So when we think about, like, the canals, like the aqueducts and things like that, Mm -hmm. that was the kind of shit he was designing. All those years ago. Yeah. So he literally helped create systems and design systems that helped for these major metropolises to, like, flourish yeah like venice yeah wow that's wild the codex is also the last publicly owned da vinci notebook currently held by bill gates who purchased it for 30 million dollars who may have sold it since then for his divorce settlement not sure maybe yeah it has been digitized for the world to see and the actual notebook is exhibited in the seattle art museum with computer programs that display the reverse mirror writing which I think it'd be so cool to see and explain how the text on the pages connect since he wrote in such like a coded way. Wow. All other notebooks are owned and on display by libraries or museums throughout the world. Cool. I want to go see some Da Vinci notebooks. I'm now obsessed with Da Vinci. Great. And I found a lot of information on engineering that I, that was actually really surprising that this wasn't as boring to research as I sort of assumed it would be. that's so cool. You did a great job, Ma. Thanks, honey. Proud of you. Pretty good for a stupid liberal cunt, huh? Yes. And feminist. Oh, yes. Big problem. (laughs) Well, let's take a quick uh, break to hear from our sponsors, shall we? Let's do it, and then you can give us a case. Oh, great. (laughs) With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking so easy, so fun, and so affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Ugh, I just re-signed up for more HelloFresh meals because I can't get enough mm-hmm. and i made one the other night cheesy smothered mushroom chicken mm. with marshed potatoes and roasted Ugh. carrots stop stop it, the yum perfect fall meal i was gonna say welcome fall honey seriously it was so good so they have all of these Fresh fall flavors available. Every HelloFresh recipe includes ripe, just-picked produce that travels from the farm to your doorstep in Mm. less than a week. You can tell how fresh everything is. You seriously can. Yes. And like I said, fall is the perfect time to cozy up with some delicious sweets. Get the whole family involved with HelloFresh's limited edition kid-friendly baking kits. I love this. When I went on to, like, pick what kind of meals that I wanted so you can get, like, Meat and veggies, uh, pescatarian, 
Mm-hmm. Um, keto friendly, veggie, all veggies. And then as mm-hmm. you're going through, you can add like pumpkin cheesecakes. Stop. OMG. Different bars, different cookies. Bars? Bars. It's completely customizable. It is so great. I miss HelloFresh so much while I was gone. I, I'm so glad I'm you obsessed. have it back in your life. I am too. And I highly recommend for everyone to get HelloFresh in their lives. Absolutely. And here's how you can do it. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GALS16 and use code GALS16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. This is an amazing offer, people. One more time, go to HelloFresh.com slash GALS16, that's G-A-L-S-1-6, and use that code GALS16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts and treat you meals. Trade them. Okay, are we ready for my case? <laughs> yes. I'm excited. I know what you're covering and... It's gnarly. Yeah, I'm not like excited. Excited is the wrong word. I am very fascinated and interested in this topic. Intrigued. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get going then. Okay. Champlin Towers South, a residential building in the town of Surfside, Florida. This is just north of Miami Beach. It's on the mm-hmm. it's on the coast, Surfside, obviously. Was part of a large complex of condo buildings built over a span of several years. Mm-hmm. The South Towers were completed in 1981, followed by Champlin Towers North in 82 and Champlin Towers East in 94. There is no Champlin Towers West. Mm-hmm. Okay. All three buildings were L-shaped and 12 stories high. This was a, it was a big compound. Yeah, that's huge. The South Towers contained the most units of 136, including a rooftop penthouse. Yeah. Lots of people in these buildings. Yeah. The penthouse was a controversial part of the South Tower from the beginning. It was not mentioned in the original building permits and eventually required an exemption from the city for exceeding Surfside's height limit for buildings. Well, that's we're off to a bad start already. We're not off to a great start, especially when it comes to like coastal I mean, zoning issues are very real for anybody building anything, but I feel mm-hmm. like Especially in a big city like this, especially on the coastline, like, don't fuck around. Mm-hmm. What are you yeah, doing? Just, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. As the first building in the complex, Champlin Towers South was the first new construction in Surfside following a moratorium on real estate development that had been imposed by Miami-Dade County in order to address water and sewer infrastructure problems that had plagued the city for years. Again, Don't fuck around with the zoning. There are reasons why that exists. Fucking blow the whistle, guys. Like, sometimes it's just aesthetic. Some some cities don't want buildings over, like, two or three stories because it's, like, a historical situation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which should be respected also. And then also, sometimes it's about infrastructure. How are we going to get... It's too dangerous. Like, sewer utilities, water to these places. Like... Mm -hmm. Just, just do, just do what you, just do what you gotta do. Yeah. The developers of Champlin Towers got around this moratorium by paying the city two hundred thousand dollars at the time, which today would be equal like to about seven hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars today. That's still not that much. Depends like, on who you're. Depends on who you have to pay off. 
Yeah, I guess. What are you thinking? I of, would like, take that much money if it was just going to me. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. But yeah, but yeah, we're is... they're not considering human life yet. Yeah. But also You're that right. money um, paid to replace a portion of the sewer system. So it wasn't like it wasn't a direct bribe situation. It was like, oh, we'll just give you all this money to replace what you say the problem is, and then we mm-hmm. can do what we want to do. When the towers were complete, they became home to a diverse array of residents. About 54% of the residents identified as non-Hispanic white and 45% as Latino or Hispanic. Mm-hmm. There was also a large number of Jewish residents, mm. not because of, but the building was also within walking distance of five synagogues. So it's a very diverse neighborhood. There were all sorts of people living in this building. Right. It was, a, it was a busy area and a lot of people in this condo. Yeah. Then at approximately 1.14 a.m., middle of the fucking night on June 24th, 2021, tragedy mm-hmm. struck. Tragedy Ugh. struck. That's hard to no. say. While most residents were asleep, the pool deck of the building partially collapsed. This was followed at 1.22 a.m. by the collapse of the north central section and the eastern wing of the building. Ugh. This final collapse of the building lasted less than 12 seconds. So fast considering how much damage was done, but it still happened really rapidly. Yep. Only three residents who lived on the collapsed portions of the building survived and a total of 98 residents died. Wow. In 12 seconds. That's horrifying. Yeah. There were a total of 126 survivors, most of whom escaped from the portion of the building that remained standing. The central and east wings were reduced to 40 feet of rubble, which rescue workers spent weeks digging through, but no additional survivors were found. Wow. Don't you remember when this happened? There was, like, constant coverage of them just digging through, like, broken cement. It was so sad. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like even at the time, pe- like all the people covering it were just like, I don't know I how anyone yeah. would, uh, I don't know how they pull anyone out alive. My God. Oh, it's really heartbreaking. Almost immediately, shock at the scale of the tragedy transformed into outrage and a desire for answers. The Miami Herald launched an investigative reporting series that uncovered numerous failings and warning signs that had been ignored in the lead up to the collapse. Mm-hmm. No whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A federal investigation into the collapse was also initiated. Today, more than a year after the tragedy, there is still no one agreed upon cause of the collapse, but federal investigators have stated that, quote, many factors contributed to the ultimate outcome. Okay, thanks. Great. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So a lot of people fucked up. Great. Love that. Mm-hmm. During a presentation in the summer of 2022, one of the lead federal investigators looking into the collapse a man named Glenn Bell of the National Institute of Standards and Technology stated that the committee had not, quote, ruled out any scenarios and has about two dozen hypotheses that are being actively considered. Okay. So basically they're saying it could be almost anything. Yeah. (laughs) We're figuring it out. Yep. Like it could have been a structural failure that could have been prevented years before. Yeah, we're looking into it. Could have been termites. Could have been mm. terrorism. I don't fucking mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. He went on to say that, quote, I've been investigating and studying structural failures for over 40 years, and I can say that this investigation is one of the most difficult and complex of its type ever undertaken. Whoa, that's a 
That's a big deal. I would imagine that something like a 12-story condominium with almost 200 residents. Yes, of course. Of course. uh, Uh, Would require more oversight than, say, I don't know, someone's deck. Right. I don't know. And I'm certainly not comparing this to someone's deck, but I get what you're saying. I'm just saying you would think and hope that there would be way more fucking oversight Mm -hmm. when it came to anything. Yeah. I just. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 horrific. A huge fucking building where a lot of people live. Mm hmm. Both the Federal Investigative Committee and the Miami Herald's in-depth investigation have pointed to several likely causes. One contributing factor in the collapse was likely the corrosion of the concrete and rebar in the towers by water, because it is on the ocean. Yep. Yep. And things with, like, salt water corrode much more quickly than fresh water, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Following the collapse, it came to light that a 2018 inspection of the Champlain Tower South by an engineering firm had found, quote, major error in the construction of the pool deck. Here we go. Which, again, was the first section to collapse. Yep. The major error was that the waterproofing portion of the deck was not sloped, meaning that rainwater was simply collecting on this layer of the deck and remaining there until it evaporated. Or soaked into the building. Yeah. And, and you're right on the ocean. Fucks. So the the the, so the, humid, the salt water, it it even though it's fresh rainwater, it's going to get salty. It's going to corrode faster. Oh, uh, and just the way that water soaking in can fuck with the structural integrity of so much. I mean, you and I as homeowners yep, know, we know water how damage. much damage water can do. It's bad. It's It can be really fucking bad. Really yeah. fucking bad. Over the years, this had caused se- severe damage to the concrete slabs below the pool deck. This 2018 report had concluded that the portion of the building underneath the pool deck needed to be removed and replaced, and that, quote, failure to replace waterproofing in the near future will cause the extent of the concrete deterioration to expand exponentially. 2018. This was three years before the shit went down. Literally went down. constant soaking in water is not a fucking good combo, man. No, especially when it's supposed to be waterproof. It's a pool deck. Yup. Champ- yep. Champlain Towers, however, had chosen to delay this expensive repair because it's expensive. Yep. We don't want to pay it now. We'll pay it eventually. Well, now you're fucking paying it. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> well, no, probably not. When in October of 2020, they finally did have someone in to make repairs to the pool deck area, they were told that these repairs could not be completed because the deterioration of the original construction materials was so severe that any repairs would have risked destabilizing the area. So they So it's too dangerous to repair it, but everyone can just keep living there. It was too dangerous to repair well, it was too expensive to repair it. Yeah, but then this almost sounds like they're saying it was too like by the time they were like, okay, let's fucking get this assessed. Yeah, yeah. So now ha- it's too happens, dangerous to happens repair. Happens in it. stages, yes. Yeah. But yes, but I think the second assessment was more like, wow, this damage is so extensive that you're gonna need to do like five times as much. And that's when they were like, ooh, yep. let's delay this even more. Ooh, wow. What could go wrong? 
On April 9th, 2021, residents of the tower received a letter outlining a planned $15 million set of repairs to the building, which noted the severe concrete deterioration. However, at the time of the building's collapse, nothing had been done yet to address this deterioration. Of course not. So they figured out a way to finance all of the extensive repairs with that secondary findings laid out. Mm-hmm. And so then they went through the motions to find the funding for that, and then they set it out to the residents. And it's like, okay, cool, we did that step. Let's just sit. Let's just sit on our haunches for a little bit longer. Yeah. Fuck. In addition to this freshwater damage, a maintenance manager had also noted an excessive amount of saltwater damage, causing even more aggressive corrosion. Oh, no. At the time of the collapse, the building was undergoing inspection for its 40-year recertification, which is a process that typically takes about a year to complete. Mm-hmm. Great. It would eventually be revealed in an explosive Miami Herald report that a contractor had inspected the pool deck only 36 hours before the collapse. No. Can you imagine? And had made note of standing water, cracked concrete, and a severely corroded rebar. So this. Oh my God. He was a day away. He could have died. This. Well, the inspector was like, yeah, your shit's really fucked up. Really fucked. Yeah. You got to fix it. Here's your receipt. He he or she. Next day, basically, it comes down. A day and a half later, it came down. Holy shit. In addition to the water damage, another potential cause of of Champlain Tower's collapse was the numerous shortcuts taken during the building's initial construction. Mm -hmm. Following the collapse, the New York Times reported that, quote, investigators had found less rebar than specified in the building's construction plans in its footing, neck, and starter columns. I'm not an engineer. I don't know exactly what that means. Yeah, but, but you, anything with columns, that's like load-bearing, that's stabilizing. And rebar are those steel yep. poles. Yep. That's what keeps concrete yeah. stable. In, in its form and yeah. stabilized. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know a lot, but I do know that rebar is pretty Real important. important to And you don't want it rusting and corroding away because then you're basically just left with like loose crumbling rock. It's a house of cards, yes. A literal house of cards mm-hmm. as made evident by this exact fucking situation. A house of Crete. Yes. Oh, God. Although the report did caution that it was possible some of this rebar had actually been dislodged during the collapse, it seems highly likely that the original contractors skimped out on the rebar to cut costs. I mean, it just seems like they tried to make this luxury building as cheap as possible from fucking day one. I wouldn't it even was classify all, it as a luxury building, but yes. Well, right. They had like a rooftop pool deck or whatever. They tried to make this building, period, just cheap. Yeah. I mean, as you would as a contractor. I mean, that's part of your job is to cut costs, but at, uh, to what expense? Like, mm-hmm. so using less rebar than required is a common construction shortcut and is often not caught once it has been done, as the inspection required to check the amount of rebar in reinforced concrete is costly and destructive. But it was pretty easy for them to do once the building had fucking collapsed into rubble. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Such a shortcut would have been caught during the construction phase, but there is evidence that proper inspections were not performed. 
oh, great. Well, it's hard to catch things when you don't properly inspect them. This whole incident was a failure on so many different levels. It's really sick and really sad. The Miami Herald interviewed six engineering experts who cited structural instability as a major cause of the collapse. Where are the whistleblowers in this one? Like, why... Why? There's so much blame to pass around, and I can't just go off and blame the engineers who were inspecting this. But if you do, I'm just going to put a blanket statement to all the people out there who might conduct inspections of some kind. If you're conducting an an inspection on a building where, like, hundreds of people live, and there's a lot fucking wrong with it, and Mm -hmm. then they're not doing anything about it, you have to, like... Uh, just do more to make that public. Like, do more to raise hell about that. Because so many people died. I mean, I think... And this is sort of what I, what I got into with the challenger and the whistleblowing and the engineering ethics. With big projects like this, there are so many different entities. It's true. That it's What really I'm asking for is easier said than done. But this way just seems easier like... Said than done. I think I, I think it's pretty rare that any one individual would encounter a a glaring problem. I guess to which they could blow the whistle about. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like in this specific circumstance, there were I don't a know, lot of glaring problems. You problems. have the owners, the builders, the contractors, the engineers, the actual people pouring the concrete, placing the rebar, all this. There's so many different entities. I would just be. I, if I, when I become an engineer, <laughs> when you get your PE, when I get my FIED degree and I start doing FIED. inspections, <laughs> I'm going to start a blog where it's like, these are my results. Everybody, they're public. Everybody read them. I mean, I'm That's sh- all I'm saying. I'm going to blow my own load, my whistle. <laughs> I'm going to wet my whistle on my own I'm going to wet my own whistle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. And this is another problem when people cook, scream for re- deregulation of things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you want to regulate some. less? Look yeah. at what's going on. I don't yeah. know. I just, there's, there's. I mean, there are some areas where it would be great to regulate less, and some areas where capitalism is obviously winning and we need to fucking regulate more. I would argue that this is an area where capitalism is, is uh, winning. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, so Harold interviewed six engineers, blah, blah, blah. Structural instability as a major cause of the collapse. These engineers, engineering experts described how either a structural column or concrete slab beneath a pool deck, the pool deck gave way. Causing both. Causing a progressive collapse in which the rest of the building became almost immediately destabilized following the loss of the pool deck support. So I, I can understand both of those things fucking gave way. All of these things can be true. Yes. Yeah. But they were saying it could be that it was just this one specific support that caused the rest of the domino effect. But it's kind of unlikely because if that, like, was that really the only problem? Really? Mm-hmm. Although the full extent of corners cut during construction will likely never be known, corruption during the construction has been cited by multiple sources as a potential major contributing cause of the collapse. Mm-hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. a major contribu- contributing factor, he lit his tail. It's burning. Ray! Why don't you just go? Just go. Oh, Ray, you tried to light your tail on fire. It sinks. Ugh. 
Nothing like burning cat hair to really wake you up at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah, it's like a full shot of espresso. Mm-hmm. Finally, a major contributing factor to the number of deaths caused by the collapse was the complete failure of the audio warning system meant to warn residents in case of an emergency. So that's another engineering fail. <laughs> I would imagine that this warning system was put in place for like things like hurricanes, mm. stuff like that, because it was right Fire. on the coast. It wasn't necessarily because, hey, your building is going to collapse, but I guess it would still Produce the same end result of, of, like, get the fuck out, you know? Mm -hmm. So the building had been designed with a sophisticated alarm system that had the capability to broadcast an alert into the bedroom of each unit. That's smart. Mm -hmm. However, the alarm was never triggered, despite mm -hmm. the fact that there were approximately seven minutes between when people witnessed the pool deck collapsing and when the entire building went down. Which that is a lot of time to get out. It would have likely allowed time for at least some of the residents to escape. No shit. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, if not most. Yeah. If not all. Seven minutes is a long time if, if you know you have to get the fuck out. Yeah. 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 The alarm. Oh, God. Never I can't even imagine how scary that must have been. Ugh. My God. The alarm never triggered for one simple reason. And that is the building security guard had never been notified of the system's existence and did not know how to trigger it, which could have been done with the push of one button. Oh, they didn't know. My God. They did not know it existed. The security guard on duty that night, someone named Shamoka Furman, later stated in an interview, if I'd had known about it, I would have pressed it. Duh. Well, yeah. So you're of a course fucking you human. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That poor bastard, too. Mm -hmm. oh. I know. This is so tragic. One resident who did manage to escape, a woman named Ileana Montegudo, Montegudo, would later recall that she had awoken to a strange noise, noticed a crack in her ceiling, and on her own decided to flee. Good for her. I don't know what I would have done. She went on I'd to probably die in there. Oh, my God. I couldn't. I just, I don't know. I'm I such a heavy sleeper. <laughs> I probably would have woken up and noticed, but I don't know. I don't know what my conclusion would be in the middle mm -hmm. of the night. Like, oh, I'll call my landlord tomorrow. I'm going to go back to sleep now. Or mm -hmm. holy fuck, the building is collapsing. I have to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she went on to describe how, quote, there was silence. There was no movement, nothing. I thought the building was empty. Oh, my God. It is impossible to know how many lives could have been saved by the use of the alarm system, but chilling to contemplate that most residents were left to sleep in their beds despite the fact that there were witnesses to the initial moments of the collapse and at least some time, seven minutes to warn others. Wow. God, yeah, that alarm is so crucial. I know. Following the revelations about the numerous failures leading to the collapse in June of 2022, a Florida judge approved the settlement of more than one b -b -b billion dollars to the families of the victims. Good. I mean, you can't put uh, this fucking fly is back. You can't put a price <laughs> on human life, but they should have to fucking pay. Hit them where it hurts. Exactly. Especially because capitalism, in essence, caused this yep. entire thing. Yep. The judge would later state in, in an interview that, quote, I don't think I have shed as many tears in my 61 years as much as I have throughout the last five weeks. And this is mm. referring to the testimony of the victim's families. Can't even imagine. 
The settlement was ordered to come from several sources, including insurance companies, engineering companies, Mm -hmm. the luxury condo building that had recently been built next door alongside the Sorry. And alongside the previously listed causes of the collapse, some experts also believe that this neighboring construction contributed to the destabilization of the Chamberlain Towers. Wow. Champ- yeah, Champ- I mean, Chamberlain like, Towers. Like you said, like we've discussed throughout this whole thing, there's so much blame to pass around here. They should all be fucking kicking in to pay restitution to these families. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. Additionally, in May of 2022, lawmakers in Tallahassee successfully passed legislation designed to increase standards for building inspection maintenance in order to prevent a similar disaster. Honestly, uh, in a place like Florida, that's almost all coastline. Mm-hmm. You, got, you gotta be so careful. You have so much unstabilized infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. You have got to be so aware of where you're building, what you're building on, what the future is going to bring, like weather-wise, erosion-wise. Well, and, and just the 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 status of the structure itself, because yes. it's constantly wet. There's a constant barrage of weather. The salt there's water, extreme the heat, corrosion. there's salt water. Yeah, it's just like there are so many factors that are going to make it more complicated than building a house in yep. Minneapolis. Basically. And also the building up of surrounding structures, too, mm-hmm. because there's always going to be buildings going up on the coastline. Right. However fucking stupid it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Florida, Jesus. Ugh. So one section of the new legislation stipulates that condos taller than three stories must be inspected every 10 years. Mm-hmm. It also requires condo owners to maintain a reserve fund to address needed repairs. Good. In a bleak, in a bleak footnote to this tragedy, also in the summer of 2022, a Dubai-based real estate development company called Damak Properties... Mm-hmm. won a $120 million bid to acquire the former sites of Champlain Towers South. Oh, dear. The billionaire founder of the company, Hussein Sajwani, announced in a press release that he was planning an ultra, a, quote, ultra-luxurious new condo building. He made no mention of the 98 people who had perished in the collapse only a year earlier. That just seems like kind of egregious. He's but. like, look at look at me. I acquired this new land. Yeah, I'm going to get this property, this land for cheap because a fucking tragedy happened here. Yep. For I only mean, $120 million. Yeah. For that whole property. Capitalism going to capitalize. Anyway. That's so sad. Oh, my God. Gross. Obviously a crime of engineering. Yeah, I didn't know how. I knew that there was like a lot of negligence at play just because I was watching the news about it. But I didn't know how deep it went. Sometimes it takes like hearing about these sort of instances in their totality to really piece together how fucking bad it was. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those cases for me personally also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Dark enough? Yeah, I mean, Did I do dark. her justice? <laughs> you did good. You did good. That was pretty dark. Cool, 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 cool. Well, cool, 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 I'm cool, tired cool. of talking. If you want to, let's hear a word from our sponsors and you take let's it the fuck it. away. Okay, can't <laughs> wait. Stitch Fix is putting the joy back into getting dressed for this new season. It's fall, baby. Mm-hmm. My favorite season. Mm -hmm. They got denim, they got sweaters, they got boots. 
Ugh. All picked for you by an expert stylist. You're going to look fantastic. It's seriously amazing. Stitch Fix is the best way to discover new styles and brands just for you. You can think of Stitch Fix as your style partner. Your stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks that you will love. And all you have to do is answer a few questions about where you typically like to shop, what you like to wear, your price range, what you don't like to wear Mm -hmm. so they know what not to put in your Stitch Fix box. That's an important component. And with your choices in mind and a wide range of sizes available from extra small to 3XL, they'll find your perfect fit. I get jeans in my Stitch Fix box and they always fit me. And they feel good. They feel good. They've got you covered with over a thousand brands and styles. So try your pieces at home before you buy. It is so much better than a too hot, gross, like bad lighting dressing room at a mall. Okay. Oh, yeah. Do it at home. Keep what you love. Send back the rest. Plus, shipping returns and exchanges are always free. And there is no subscription required. Simply order a refresh as needed or set it and forget it like I do with regular seasonal fixes. You're in control, baby. And it feels like your birthday every time you get a new shipment. Yeah, it's seriously amazing. I love it. I love getting my seasonal boxes. And like, it's not just clothes. They've sent me bags, shoes, uh, I've gotten jewelry from them. Like I said, the jeans always fit me. I'm just, I love my Stitch Fix so much. Right now, Stitch Fix is offering our listeners 20 bucks off their first fix at stitchfix.com forward slash gals. That's stitchfix.com slash G-A-L-S for $20 off today. One more time, stitchfix.com slash gals and treat your wardrobe. Treat it. Are you feeling a little anxious? Yes. A little Always. overwhelmed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> These feelings can kind of make it a little hard to shift gears and get in the mood. Mm-hmm. But with Dipsy, you can focus just on what makes you feel good. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed for you by sensual women. Mm. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, there is no judgment or shame in this game, okay? Find stories about that intriguing co-worker with a British accent. Oh. Or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Yeah. Hear the sexy voices of Saranus J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, Luke Cook and many others in stories like you've never heard before. And new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can mix it up. Find something new to explore. Variety. Mm-hmm. And when you're done getting all wound up, Dipsy can help you wind down because they also have sleep stories, wellness sessions. And now this is my favorite. They also offer written stories. Hello. So if your headphones aren't charged... <laughs> You can just read one of their written stories. So this is your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. Oh. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash G-A-L-S. One more time, dipsystories.com slash gals and treat your fantasies. Treat them. 
Are you ready for my case? No. I mean, you're going to love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Y'all, I had no idea that engineering crimes would be the gateway to the story that I have been yearning to tell since 12-year-old me saw Jack kiss Rose on the bow of the Titanic. Oh, God. Yep. So this good. Is, oh, I'm get, I might have to watch that movie tonight. Mm-hmm. This is one of the largest engineering failures in history, and we're going to dive into it. Pun intended. <laughs> no, it's cold. I know. Take your shoes right off first. Oh, <laughs> that's not going to help you. So for those of you who have been raised in an M. Night Shyamalan's The Village style environment, the Titanic was a ship. (laughs) A ship built or at least like folks were told to be an engineering marvel that would change sea travel forever. Do you know my house was built the same year that the Titanic sailed slash sank? 1912? Mm -hmm. Cool. My house is 100 years old. Actually, it was built in 1911. Yeah, your house is more than 100 years old because mm-hmm. it's 2022. Yeah. Queen. Where? That's an old house. This oh, old wait. house. I got. No, it was 1921 it was built. Oh, then 10 years almost after. Nine years after. Either way, math. Woohoo. That's all right. I'm an engineer. So the British Ocean Liner was built by the White Star Line as one of three luxury ships the Olympic, the Britannic, and the Titanic. Wow. These were the biggest ships they had ever built for their fleet, which at the time, like around 1912, included 29 ships. They needed these new ships to be groundbreaking because they were lagging behind their competition in steamers, a company called Cunard, which built the famous Lusitania and Mauritania in 1906. And these were known worldwide as the... Yeah, well, I mean, the Lusitania is a, is like a very famous They're ship. They're both famous, but I yeah. think it's funny to But it is funny to think about, about a famous, famous ship. famous ships. <laughs> I know. Well, the Titanic, the yeah. arguably the There's most one. famous ship. There's one. And the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, right. There's a handful. And the uh, the SS Sulphur Queen. <laughs> so these that. were known worldwide as the fastest passenger ships available at the time. So to show them up, White Star decided not to necessarily focus on speed, although they did focus on speed as well, but rather size and luxury amenities. Ooh. The ships were constructed by the Belfast shipbuilders Harland and Wolf, who had been White Star's go-to designers, like basically the Chip and Joanna Gaines of ships, <laughs> since the 1860s. That's where shiplap came from. Shiplap. <laughs> so their approach was Wolf would dream big and draw an over the top sketch of the potential ship, and Harland would basically reverse engineer it and draw up plans to make it an actual seaworthy vessel. Ooh, yeah. I like that tactic. This had worked pretty well for them. As for their budget, it didn't super exist. Thank God. They were just kind of told to do their thing, and then White Star would like f- make it work, Tim Gunn. <laughs> they would just like allocate funds. Quote, in the case of the Olympic class ships, a cost of three million pounds, which would be approximately 310 million pounds in 2019 for the first two ships was agreed, plus extra extras to contract and the usual 5% fee. So Wolf and what's his face? Harland would get 5% on top of, of a fee for themselves for doing the designs on top of like the cost of building everything. Oh, okay. So this is from Wikipedia, quote, Harland and Wolf put their leading designers to work designing the Olympic class vessels. The design was overseen by Lloyd Peary, 
a uh, director of both Harlan and Wolf and the White Star Line, naval architect Thomas Andrews, the managing director of Harlan and Wolf's design department, Edward Wilding, Andrews' deputy and responsible for calculating the ship's design, stability, and trim, and Alexander Carlyle, the shipyard's chief draftsman and general manager. Carlyle's responsibilities included the decorations, equipment will get to the decorations. I have so many photos on the drive. <laughs> Thank God. Like, like the most I've ever included. The only thing I want to pay attention to are the decorations. I'm going Great, into your folder because right we're going to talk about the amenities. It's fabulous. So equipment and all general arrangements, including the implementation of an efficient lifeboat design. So efficient. Will- yeah, which we'll get to. Wow, you do uh, have so many pictures. Uh-huh. <laughs> so on July 29th of 1908, Harlan and Wolf presented the drawings to J. Bruce Ismay and other White Star Line executives. Ismay approved the design and signed three letters of agreement two days later, authorizing the start of construction. At this point, the first ship, which, which was later to become the Olympic, had no name but was referred to simply as number 400, as it was Harlan and Wolf's 400th hull. The Titanic was based on a revised version of this same design and was given the number 401. Ooh. Titanic was 882 feet and 9 inches long with a maximum breadth of 92 feet and 6 inches. Wow. Her total height measured from the base of the keel to the top of the bridge was 104 feet. She measured 46,328 gross register tons and with a draft of 34 feet, 7 inches. She displaced 52,310 tons of water. Wow. She was a big girl. She was a big girl. All three of the Olympic class ships had 10 decks, excluding the top of the officers' quarters, which were pretty lavish. 10? Eight of of which were for passenger use. Two of which were like equipment and steerage, basically. So eight decks stacked vertically like this? 10. Oh, my God. Eight, Eight for passengers. She is a big girl. She had three main engines heated by burning coal, which we all know from the iconic scenes of the film were absolute hell to power. Oh, yeah. And all shoveled into these massive coal burning stoves by fucking hand. The Titanic had multiple bunkers that could hold over 7,000 tons of coal to keep the ship operating for its long voyages. Quote, the furnaces required over 600 tons of coal a day. The carbon footprint was not small. No. To be shoveled into them by hand, requiring the services of 176, they called them firemen, but they were like the people shoveling coal. Coleman. Working around the clock. Jesus. A hundred tons of ash a day had to be disposed of by ejecting it into the sea. Oh, where it just disappeared ash yeah where it just dissolved and didn't have any effect i'm sure (laughs) the work was relentless dirty and dangerous and although firemen were paid relatively generously for the time there was a high rate of suicide among those who worked in that capacity and how could there fucking not be god so while these poor bastards were down below contemplating ending their own lives and shoveling coal the wealthy elite above were enjoying the most lavish amenities known to man on a ship at the time literally using the Ritz Hotel as inspiration for the ship (laughs) oh good 
First class amenities included a seven foot deep saltwater swimming pool, a gymnasium, a squash court, and a Turkish bath, which comprised electric bath, steam room, cool room, massage room, and hot room. Sounds incredible. I love how they really wanted a saltwater swimming pool on this on the ocean. Air, this frigid on this ocean. Yeah. <laughs> A lounge in the style of the Palace of Versailles. Cute. An enormous reception room. A men's smoking room, mm-hmm. men only. Mm-hmm. And a reading and writing room where they would allow the women to read. <laughs> there were but multiple, not right. di- but not right. <laughs> there were multiple dining experiences. Excuse me. And this wine is making me burpy, including an a la carte restaurant, again in the style of the Ritz Hotel, a cafe parisien decorated in the style of a French sidewalk cafe. Cute. There's photos of that on the drive too. Yes. Uh, complete with ivy colored trellises and wicker furniture. And there was a veranda cafe where tea and light refreshments were served that offered grand views of the ocean. Whoa. At 114 feet long by 92 feet wide, the dining saloon on D deck was the largest room afloat and could seat almost 600 passengers at a time Gross. to dine. Yeah, that's way too many people. Obvi, like I said, there are tons of photos on the drive, including the iconic first class staircase upon which Rose sees Jack in a tux and tails looking like an absolute snack and they lock eyes. And in that moment, she realizes she is completely in love with him. I love that scene. I also love that scene when recreated by that black cat on Instagram. Yep, with a cat. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the Titanic and the Olympic were the largest ships that any shipbuilder had ever attempted at that time. Now it's like cruise ships are a dime a dozen, but Mm -hmm. whatever. They were built at the same time and took just over two years to complete. Quote, the work of constructing the ships was difficult and dangerous. For the 15,000 men who worked at Harland and Wolf at the time, safety precautions were rudimentary at best. A lot of the work was carried out without equipment like hard hats or hand guards on machinery. Oh, my God. Imagine the injuries. Well, as a result, during Titanic's construction, 246 injuries were recorded. 28 of them, quote, severe, such as arms severed by machines or legs crushed under falling pieces of steel. Six people died on the ship herself while she was being constructed and fitted out. And another two died in the shipyard workshops and sheds, just like using the equipment. Jesus. Yep. Just before the launch of the Titanic, a worker was killed when a piece of wood fell on him and just crushed him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there are some like I found some rare photos of the Titanic and there are some like under construction pictures. It's It's not massive. Yeah, it's not great. Like, it looks really fucking scary. I, I, no. Big hard pass. One of the defining features of the ship, of course, was its hull of compartments. So this is from history.com. Quote, it spanned 883 feet from stern to bow, and its hull was divided into 16 compartments that were presumed to be watertight. Oh, no. Because four of these compartments could be flooded without causing a critical loss of buoyancy, the Titanic was considered unsinkable, end quote. And it was also uh, considered that even if it had hit a, it had overflowed into beyond four compartments of the 16, they believed that because of the way that the compartments were built, 
it would take days if they got into an accident for the Titanic to sink. And as we know now, it took hours and we'll get to why. Wow. Weird. Yeah. So these holes are just filled with air. It's just the air yep. cushioning. It's a, it's the hole. Yep. They're just empty and they basically fitted these like 16 separate like doors that were supposed to be watertight mm-hmm. so that if they sprung a leak they could seal off the remainder of the doors and that leak could be contained within those compartments of the hull until rescue could come or they could get ashore. Great. And keep the keep the boat itself buoyant yeah. so that it doesn't go to the bottom of the fucking Atlantic. Yep. Okay. Oh. So in 1909, the Titanic was nearly complete, and in 1911, it was deemed ready for a sea test. This test wasn't actually done until April of 1912, only eight days before her maiden voyage was scheduled to take off. So it was scheduled to take off on April 10th, 1912, and they did their sea test on uh, April 2nd. Okay. So this is again from Wikipedia. The sea trials consisted of a number of tests of her handling characteristics carried out in Belfast and then in the open waters of the Irish Sea. Over the course of about 12 hours, Titanic was driven at different speeds. Her turning ability was tested and a crash stop was performed in which the engines were reversed full ahead to full astern, bringing her to a stop in 850 yards or three minutes and 15 seconds. So like that, that all checked out. They were like, okay, this emergency stopping works. We can come to a full stop Yeah, within three minutes and 15 seconds. That's pretty good for a ship that size. Yeah. The ship covered a distance during this test of about 80 nautical miles, which is 92 land miles. I don't really know why they're different, but water is crazy. <laughs> Averaging 18 knots, which is about 21 miles an hour and reaching a maximum speed of just under 21 knots, which is like 24 miles an hour. On returning to Belfast at about 7 p.m., the surveyor signed an agreement and account of voyages and crew valid for a year, which declared the ship seaworthy. Then on April 10th, 1912, Jack won his steerage ticket in that poker game and (laughs) off he went. With his cute Italian friend. So cute. So the ship sailed without incident for five days before it, obviously, as we know, hit an iceberg that would be her downfall. At 11.40 p.m. on the 14th of April, lookout Frederick Fleet spotted an iceberg immediately ahead of the Titanic and alerted the bridge. And there's a photo on the drive of the iceberg that is presumed to be the one that sank the Titanic. It's horrifying. It's big. Yeah. I mean, it looks big, but in the, the world of icebergs, it's like... Not that crazy. And obviously, as we know, there's a lot more underneath. It's what's below. Yeah. And not above. Well, she's sturdy. I think the fact that most of it is below means that it doesn't move. Yep. You don't just hit it and it just gets out of your way. Right. Well, I mean, there are theories on that. But yes. So first officer. Right ahead. Right ahead. First officer William Murdoch ordered the ship to be steered around the obstacle and the engines to be reversed, but it was too late. The starboard side of the Titanic struck the iceberg, creating a series of holes below the waterline. The hull was not punctured by the iceberg, but rather dented in such a way that the hull's seams buckled and separated, allowing water to rush into the hull. Five of the ship's watertight compartments were breached like immediately. And, and they we knew already that know four that was it, the max. Four was kind of the max to 
not be in an emergency situation. Oh, no. It soon became clear that the ship was doomed as she could not survive more than four compartments being flooded. The Titanic began sinking bow first with water spilling from compartment to compartment as her angle in the water became steeper and the compartments were not built like floor to ceiling airtight. They had gaps over the top (gasps) because nobody ever like they didn't imagine that it would tilt that it would even fill that high. Wow. Or or tilt tilt. to that degree. Oh, no. Like that wasn't even on their radar. Oh, no. So water spilling from compartment to compartment as her angle in the water becomes steeper. And by early morning on April 15th, she had split in half, as we know, and begun to like truly sink to the bottom of the ocean. This is so fucked up. So the ship was built to hold enough lifeboats for only half of those on board, Mm -hmm. but they didn't include all of the lifeboats that it was built to hold. So I saw some reports that said it only had 16 lifeboats. That held like 20 people a piece. I mean, more than that, because there were enough survivors that, but like, I don't know exactly how many there were, but there weren't, there were enough for like basically a third of the people. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Wait, why didn't, why were there so many fewer than like half? There's no regulation and they wanted to save space for amenities. And if they had had the adequate amount of lifeboats, they would have had to cut back on other like flashy Parisian cafe. Yeah. Other flashy shit wouldn't have fit. And they that's that was their priority. Yeah. Not only that, but the crew had not been properly trained for a full-scale evacuation. So, like, that, the four poor fucking security guard who didn't even know about the button. hmm Most of this crew wasn't even on board during the sea test, and the maiden voyage was their first time ever on the ship, and they didn't know the evacuation protocol. They just didn't know it. Oh. Lifeboats were launched half full, prioritizing first class and essentially ignoring third class passengers and crew members down below. Or second class. Yep. Presumably. Yep. About 705 of the 2,200 on board survived and were rescued by the uh, Carpathia, which was ironically a ship by the rival Cunard line. Oh. And they were taken to New York, which was Titanic's original destination, while more than 1,500 people died and we don't have like the exact count because there's not a perfect record of how many crew members were on board. You know, there's a how more perfect record. recovered? Well, and we'll get to the bodies, but Ugh. yeah. So of the 1,500 minimum who died, the captain of the Titanic was one of them. And his last words were, quote, Well, boys, you've done your duty and done it well. I ask no more of you. I release you. You know the rule of the sea. It's every man for himself now, and God bless you. Ugh. Yep. Jesus Christ. So of the over 1,500 people who died, only 306 bodies were found after the sinking. Oh, my God. Yeah. So many families never even had the chance to put their loved ones to rest. So they just sank, went down with the ship, were eaten or whatever they just yeah, I mean, never how, fucking found it's them. 19 fucking 12 how are they gonna recover all that they fished out enough like frozen people from the water but they still haven't found any more i don't think so wow well by the time we have the technology to like really do some serious exploration of the wreckage 
you know, all you know, years, decades have passed, and you're in a current in the vast ocean with all manner of sea life nibbling at you. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's it's not like being at the bottom of a lake. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But Just how did this... having found nothing though is sort of surprising. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's probably like some remains that were recovered, but. There was no, like, DNA database. Like, how are you going right. to know who they belong to? Right, right. Not I mean, who they f- belong to, but just, like, oh, here's who Who are they? One. It, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think it would be almost impossible to to recover. Yeah. Jesus. So how did this unsinkable ship go down from an engineering perspective? Well, we all know the, like, theory about the impact with the iceberg that was, like, kind of a mess. That the sh- If the ship had, like powered through head on there might have been less damage but we can't confirm that and there's also more to it instead of like swiping the whole side exactly Mm. they could have gone through it and maybe like broken it up maybe but it's hard to know it's really hard to know because then it could have just scraped both sides like we don't know we don't know it could have yeah just like hit the whole front of the boat like just yeah i don't know yeah who fucking knows but and so i'm not an engineer so i'm going to be reading directly from an article explaining the engineering failures of the titanic from (laughs) mechhead.com quote on an expedition in 1991 to the titanic wreck scientists discovered a chunk of metal scientists meaning Bill Paxton, Paxton. Yes, of course. Discovered a chunk of metal lying on the ocean floor, the heart of the ocean, that once was part <laughs> of the Titanic's hull. The frisbee-sized piece of steel was an inch thick with three rivet holes, each 1.25 inches in diameter. Since the retrieval of this piece of steel, extensive research has been done to uncover additional clues to the cause of the rapid sinking of the Titanic. When the Titanic collided with the iceberg, the hull steel and the wrought iron rivets failed because of brittle fracture. This is a type of catastrophic failure in structural materials. Brittle fracture occurs without prior plastic deformation and at extremely high speeds. The causes of brittle fracture include low temperature. Ooh, like the O-rings. The O-rings, yep. High impact loading and high sulfur content. On the night of the Titanic disaster, each of these three factors was present. The water temperature was below freezing. The Titanic was traveling at a high speed on impact with the iceberg. And the hull steel contained high levels of sulfur. Oh, shit. The first hint that brittle fracture of the hull steel contributed to the Titanic disaster came following the recovery of that piece of the hull steel from the Titanic wreck in 1991. So it had been like... Almost a hundred years before we even had this fucking technology to get this information. Dang. Yep. After cleaning the piece of steel, the scientists noted the condition of the edges. Jagged and sharp, the edges of the piece of steel appeared almost shattered like broken china. Also, the metal showed no evidence of bending or deformation. Mm. Typical high-quality ship steel is more ductile and deforms rather than breaks. The material used in Titanic showed brittle properties under the cold weather temperatures that caused that catastrophic failure. Wow. 
This is why it's important for engineers to study the materials. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the wrought iron rivets that fastened the hull plates to the Titanic's main structure also failed because of brittle fracture from the high impact loading of the collision with the iceberg and the low temperature water on the night of the disaster. So not only was like the steel was shitty, the rivets holding everything together also were shitty in those conditions. I mean, it might have been the same material. Yeah. Yep. So with the ship traveling at nearly 25 miles per hour, the contact with the iceberg was probably a series of impacts that caused the rivets to fail either in sheer or by elongation. As the iceberg scraped along sections of the Titanic's hull, the rivets were sheared off, which opened up riveted seams and let all that water in. Oh, my God. So it's like all these little I mean, and there's so much pressure because it's so much water Mm -hmm. that like all these little cuts all along the side of it and these popped rivets was enough to let all that fucking water in. Mm -hmm. And then the surrounding steel that the rivets are attached to was also brittle. So it was essentially like they were saying it was exploding like China, like it was just breaking apart. And also I, I can imagine, I don't know about like all the properties of steel and iron and all that, but as it's like scraping along, like the Mm -hmm. vibrations between all of the materials probably Mm -hmm. aided in all of that destruction. Oh yeah. Probably did not help at all. Oh, So along with the material failures, poor design of the watertight compartments in the Titanic's lower section was also a factor in the disaster. The lower section of the Titanic was divided into 16 major watertight compartments, as we we mentioned, that could easily be sealed off if part of the hull was punctured and leaking water. After the collision with the iceberg, the hull portion of six of these 16 compartments was damaged. And sealing off the compartments was completed immediately after the damage was realized. But as the bow of the ship began to pitch forward from the weight of the water in that area of the ship, the water in some compartments began to spill over into adjacent compartments. Oh, my fucking God. Because of those gaps. Yep. Although the compartments were called watertight, they were actually only watertight horizontally and not vertically. Their tops were open and the walls extended only a few feet above the water line. Son of a bitch. The sinking of the Titanic has become one of the most well-known disasters in history because of the terrible loss of life and the demise of what everyone believed was an unsinkable ship. People are intrigued and curious about what caused the rapid sinking of the Titanic. The failure of the hull steel resulted from brittle fractures caused by the high sulfur content of the steel, the low temperature water on the night of the disaster, and the high impact loading of the collision with the ice Wow. Yeah. So when the Titanic hit the iceberg, the whole plates split open and continued cracking as the water flooded the ship because now there's more pressure and more cold water inside of the hull. So it just kept causing these little like explosions of brittle steel. Oh, my God. Can you even fucking imagine like think of the sound that would be making? My first thought was how fucking loud Especially yeah. down below for the third class passengers and the, and steerage and like all the the people working on the ship. Yep. Like oh oh and fuck. They, and they're trapped they're trapped down there. Yeah. They're, they're not getting no, out. They're not getting out. They're drowning. Oh god. Yep. Other engineers agree with this assessment. Charles Murray wrote for Design News in 2015 that quote cold temperatures caused the hull of the RMS Titanic to fail, but with better metallurgy. <laughs> metallurgy metallurgy i have a metal allergy <laughs> and connector technology titanic's hull might have remained intact 
uh, end quote, which alludes to the fact that, yes, there were engineering failures here, but many of them were due to a lack of understanding and technology that's commonplace today. So, like, there were things that I think could have been conceived of that were not. Mm-hmm. And that that part of the design was indeed an engineering failure. But these were the materials of the time that they had to work with. Yes. Like they weren't necessarily assessing the the sulfur content of the steel that they're using. While I would imagine they are factoring in temperatures because that's a little bit more basic science. There's still so much more science that we have access to now that engineers can use to be like, under this circumstance, this could happen. And under this circumstance, this could happen. Yeah. So it's like a little bit of, we just didn't fucking know and did the best we could. And a little bit of, we tried to build this grandiose thing in two years and we got a little too big for our britches. And this design was actually kind of dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like they yeah. could have experimented with like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about here, but bear with me. Like just a like crash a, test like dummy a, for a car. Well, like a lower oxide containing version of steel versus right. like this and like different. Yeah. They didn't have access to that no, kind of. There was like one option. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's fucking tragic at the end of the day. There's nothing we could do about it. It was hundreds, you know, over a hundred years ago. But, but you know, this is all, this also kind of goes into what I was sort of talking about with engineering ethics like, mm-hmm. how do you draw the line between something that was, like, unavoidable, unforeseeable, right. and When the design negligent. itself was also kind of fucking negligent. It, like, like the, the I'm sorry, the lifeboats alone. That is choosing fucked up. Um, That's negligence. Choosing more room for amenities rather than equipping it with enough lifeboats for even half of the people on board. Like, yeah. you're, that, that. It was they, a third. They, it was they a put little it up on more there than a third. third. Yeah, because they got cocky and they were like, we built this unsinkable ship. We're not even going to fucking need these anyway. Yeah, but at the same time, the gaps at the top of the hull with all these compartments. Negligent. I don't even negligent. know if that was negligent. It was just a type. design failure. No, oh, I know, well, but that's, I don't know. That could be, it could be both. It could be both, but then also like the material, the rivets and the steel and the blah, blah, blah. That That's a little bit more unavoidable for the time. But it's all a spectrum, like maybe not the lifeboat thing, but like. So much was going wrong with the time. She was doomed from the start. So much was going on. Like what we were saying, there are so many people top to bottom working on this, overseeing it, funding it. 15,000 people was, worked on building this boat. That was a political issue in itself. Like, it's mm-hmm. all, it's all, the more money. It's capitalism. They were trying tied to into beat, it. Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to keep up with and then surpass their competitor. That's and they didn't drop some balls along the way. Jesus Christ. I mean, they surpassed them in most famous shipwreck. Yeah. So that's pretty tight. In, uh, yeah. And, of course, last but not least, I couldn't talk about the Titanic without mentioning the unsinkable Molly Brown, who inspired unsinkable Helen's nickname. Yes. And I have a fun fact. Helen was born five years to the day after the Titanic sank, April 15th. (laughs) I didn't know that was her birthday. Her birthday was April 15th, 1917, five years to the day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God bless her. Unsinkable Helen. So Molly was born, well, her name is Margaret, and uh, most people called her Maggie, but then she just ended up with this, like, posthumous nickname, 
even though like no one called her Molly during her life, but whatever. She was born in 1867 and lived until 1932, so 65 years old. She was a socialite who was expected to marry rich, but ended up marrying for love. She famously said, quote, I wanted a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. I thought about how I wanted comfort. I thought about how I wanted comfort for my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself who could give to the tired older man the things I longed for him. So she wanted her dad to have like a comfortable retirement. Yeah. But Jim was as poor as we were and had no better chance. I struggled hard with myself in those days. I loved Jim, but he was poor. (laughs) Finally, I decided that I'd be better off with a poor man that I loved than with a wealthy one whose money had attracted me. So I married Jim Brown. She ended up rich as fuck anyway. Well, yeah, they ended up really well off with success in the mining industry. Uh, He was working with Ibex Mining Company and doing such instrumental work for the mining industry itself. I don't know if he was an engineer or what. I didn't go down this rabbit hole because I... My case is already really long, mm-hmm. but he was so like integral to that company that he was awarded over 12,000 shares in the company and given a seat on the board. So he like really made a name for himself in mining and it blew up this industry. Love it. So during this time, Molly dedicated her life to supporting the mining families, specifically making sure they were fed and properly cared for. She and JJ actually divorced before she got on the Titanic because she loved the socialite life and he didn't. Ooh, Molly. So she was like, if you're not going to be coming out with me on your arm, I got to go. So they broke up. Oh, Margaret. Yeah. She boarded the Titanic a free agent. She famously begged those aboard her lifeboat to go back to the record wreckage and look for survivors, but those aboard refused. I think they kind of used artistic license in uh, the movie. I don't know if it was her boat that went back. The is anyone alive out there? Scene. No, that was just a rescue boat. But she okay. was in the boat saying, "Like, can we can Say, go, back. go back? We can fit more people." And then they just yeah. didn't because her boat was like half full. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh God, I gotta watch this tonight. I only want to watch the first tape. The second tape is too sad. (laughs) I'm going to watch it all. So she spent the remainder of her life after surviving the wreckage, fighting for workers' rights and also heavily involved in women's suffrage. And there are a couple photos of her on the drive, both of which she is in a fabulous hat. One, she is presenting a trophy cup award to Carpathia Captain Arthur Henry Roston for his service in the rescue of the Titanic. That hat is amazing. And then the other one, the Mrs. J.J. Brown one, where she looks like she's rolling her eyes. That is what she was wearing the day she got off of the Carpathia after surviving this ordeal on the Titanic. Are you fucking kidding? Wait, that's a photo. That's the same hat. Yeah, probably. She's like, she probably put that hat back on to be in this ceremony. It's the same outfit. Good for her. It's the same blouse. I get it. If I was wearing that when I was rescued uh, or on like the day that I made it to land, because obviously they were on the Carpathia for several days. So I don't even know if those were like, I think it was the same damn day. It might have been the same. She's making the same face. She's got the exact same outfit on. I love her. She's amazing. And that is the engineering failures of the Titanic. Damn. I know, right? Well, as if our listeners did not need another reason to not go on a Stay cruise ship. Stay off of cruise ships, people. It's not worth it. <laughs> Don't God. ever go on a cruise ship. It's not worth Good it. Good job. Jesus. I didn't Thank realize how, how much negligence went into that tragedy. 
I know. It's pretty sad. The fucking lifeboats, it gets me. That gets me every time. That is just, it's cruel. It's really cruel. It's really fucked up. So avoidable. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. Thank you, Joe. For your generous uh, pledge in honor of your wife, Jen's birthday. Happy Mm -hmm. belated birthday, Jen. I think you're an engineer. This was a phenomenal topic, yeah. God, don't fuck around with engineering. Jesus Christ. I thought this was going to be boring as hell, and then I got so excited about it, so thank you so much. Yeah, this is a good episode. So thank you, Joe. Happy birthday, Jen. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!